Well, hello, 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 my friends. It's Ryan J. Pelt from The Art of Paying Attention, where paying attention is our proper and endless work. Well, I hope you're well. hope you're paying attention to things in the world. There's a lot to pay attention to these days. So what are you paying attention to? What's moving you? What are you thinking about? What are you reflecting on? What are you seeing? What are you feeling? What do you need? What What is going on? What is causing you pain? What is causing you struggle? What is causing you joy? What are you paying attention to? Well, friends, I'm paying attention to patience. I went to a conference a couple weeks ago. One of the speakers talked about patience. I was thinking about that, reflecting on that, how impatient I can be. That I want everything now. I want it tomorrow. I want it the next five minutes. I want it instant gratification. Patience is difficult. Patience is difficult in art, in life, building a good life, making things, starting things, dealing with family and friends. It all requires patience. And as I was listening to this talk, he he also used this metaphor of the farmer. And he says that the farmer is eternally patient. They understand seasons. They understand when crops are going to harvest. They understand that you have to put the seed in the ground. You have to water the seed. The soil needs to be healthy and good. It needs sun. It needs particular weather and weather and temperature. But it will eventually come up. The crop will eventually come to harvest. And, you know, that harvest may be brown. It may not have as much life as we want to. It may not produce as much as we want. But, but it eventually will. And I love that metaphor of thinking about patience and the farmers. Like, how can we be patient like the farmers that we just keep building, we keep planting, we keep watering, knowing that eventually something good will come out on the other end. Uh, We can't shortchange the process. We can't turbocharge the process. But whatever you're doing, whatever life you're trying to build, whatever family you're trying to build, whatever art you're trying to make, whatever business you're trying to start or nonprofit, it takes patience. Patience like the farmer. That's what I'm paying attention to. Hope you are well. And I'm also paying attention to spring, maybe like the farmer. It's, it's around the corner here in the cold, dreary Midwest of America. Spring is coming, and I'm excited about that. But I'm also paying attention to my conversation that I had with John Livesey. I should say John Livesey. I stuttered on my words. And he talks about the power of storytelling. And I'll put all his information in the show notes in his book. He wrote a book on the power of storytelling and how we can use storytelling in our art, in our life, in our business, and how important that is, that we all have a story and we have a story to tell and, and that stories are what are compelling. Stories are what helps build trust. Stories are what helps build community and helps us in selling the things we're selling, sharing the things we're sharing. We're all built in storytellers. We're all natural storytellers. So, But he helps us bring out those stories and what that looks like and how we do that well. So I really enjoyed my conversation with John Livesey around storytelling because I think it's essential. I think it's vital to learn how to tell stories, to learn how to share our stories and how that can be used in so many beautiful, good ways. So without further ado, here is my conversation with John Livesey. Well, hey, today I am privileged to have John Livesey on the show. And John, I do have to ask this question because we are called The Art of Paying Attention is, what are you paying attention to these days? I'm paying attention to how I feel more and more in the moment. 
as opposed to worrying about the future. And that's that's allowing me to have a lot more peace of mind. I think that's good. Yeah. I think after the last few years of the world exploding Mm -hmm. and burning, uh, yeah, I think a lot of us feel that way. Uh, So John, uh, really glad to have you on the show. And uh, we have a lot of writers and creative people and storytellers in the proper sense. And Mm -hmm. uh, I was really looking forward to chatting with you about your new book. The sale is in the tale because you talk a lot about storytelling and why that's so essential, um, not only for the work you've done and in sales and business, but also in life. And so I'm really looking forward to to jumping in together. Uh, Well, let's just ask the the question right away. How did you stumble upon this idea of, you know, storytelling kind of being the magic or the Mm. A juice for all the good things. Well, I used to sell advertising for Condé Nast, which is GQ and Wired and Vanity Fair and Architectural Digest and several brands like that. And big advertisers like Lexus would say, we looked at 15 different brands. We've narrowed it down to 10 and we're going to pick three. And you each get to come in for 30 minutes and tell us why we should pick you. Don't talk about numbers. And half of the reps were deer in headlights. And I realized, oh, whoever tells the best story is the one that's going to get this business. And I come from an advertising background where I learned how to craft stories for movies back in the day when there was Blockbuster and movies were coming out on home video. And we would take something that had been done theatrically and reposition it to get people to want to rent or own it. So that's really where I honed my storytelling skills. And then I thought, oh, I just need to learn how to be a, a storyteller, not a pushy salesperson, and paint a picture of what life will be like. And what's fascinating about storytelling as it relates to your brand and your show is we pay way more attention to a good story than we do numbers and facts. And in fact, we remember the stories and we forget the facts and we repeat stories and don't repeat facts. So um, if you want to be memorable and magnetic, becoming a storyteller is the key to success. I really like this because I, you know, I was thinking as I was getting ready to chat with you, you know, when you come home to talk to your wife or your partner mm-hmm. or your spouse or whatever, you know, you don't share data usually, Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's usually you tell a story like how, how was your day? Well, you right. know, Brandon, this person, you're not gonna believe I f- slipped on the snow. Like, exactly. you know, it's, it, we're, we are storytellers by, by nature. And so, yeah, that's interesting because I, I think we know that kind of deep in our, in our bones that that's true, but yet so many ads, so much marketing is always about, well, let me tell you why you should yeah. buy my product, you know, X, Y, Z. It's going to you know save you on fuel efficiency. It's going to, da, da, da. but, but it's the, the story that kind of draws you into like a different level. Um, so w- when you've kind of discovered some of this and we're thinking about it going, oh, it's really about the storytelling piece. And this is how this works. What has been kind of like, is there been pushback? Like when you kind of even present what you've presented Mm. in the book you wrote and the, you know, people you've interacted with over the years kind of go, well, yeah, kind of, but I'm not a storyteller (laughs) or that's silly or we're not, you Uh, know, just give them the facts. Well, there's two things there. The first is about five years ago, there was not a big pushback on the concept of storytelling. They just, some people were saying, I don't understand how it helps us sell more. So there was just confusion. And then I would explain, well, are you a company that has to compete against your competitors in a final three? Oh, yes. And we always ask to go last because whoever goes last is memorable. And I said, yeah, but you can't control that. Yeah, that's not really a good strategy, is it? Wouldn't it be a better strategy to tell a story that made you memorable, even if you were the first person to present? 
And then they the light bulb goes off. Um, then a lot of people say, oh, I don't know if I have a story. And uh, my part of that is everyone has a story. You had a bad flight you in your lifetime with delays. You've had a bad holiday meal with crazy relatives. There's always something going on in your life that is a story. And once you start turning that awareness button on and learn the structure of how to tell a good story, it's unlike a, an athlete or a professional singer. You don't have to be this gifted performer to do it well. You and even if you think you're good, there's ways to get even better to become what I call the black belt in storytelling, where you tell a story so well that people see themselves in it. And when that happens, Ryan, the magic is people want to go on the journey with you. They don't feel like you're pushing them at all. You're telling a story of someone who's just like them, and you're the Sherpa or Yoda from Star Wars. You're not the hero of the story, your client is. And that's the nuance of learning how to tell a story in the business world. Hmm. No, I like this. I, yeah, it's funny. I was my, I've used the same realtor multiple times and mm-hmm. I remember one time talking to him and he's really good at what he does. And I've had a few different realtors over the years. And, and I just, you know, in a moment of just chatting, I said, you know, what, what why did you become a realtor? And he told this story about a terrible mm-hmm. experience buying a home and almost to the point of, I will never let that happen to anyone ever again. You know, wow. and it was just this, what drove him. And it's yes. probably why he's so good. I mean, I think yeah. if we, you know, you were to think about your work and my work and people working in nonprofits or working, whatever, there's always, that mm-hmm. seems to be that underlying story that, you know, I work for the cancer foundation because my yes. mom had cancer or I exactly. had cancer. You know, I work with prisoners because I was in prison at one point, mm. or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. There is, everyone does has a story. It's just a matter of kind of drawing it out. So, so yeah. So talk, talk to us a little bit about kind of in your work, uh, you know, you've written this book, uh, the sale is in the tail and, uh, helping people in their storytelling and, and you mm-hmm. know, business or whatever realm they're in. Uh, what are some of the, the kind of starting stepping stones when you think mm. about trying to drawing out that someone that says, Hey, you know, I don't have a story or this isn't going to work or like, where would you begin? Right. Well, the first thing is to be aware that people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic. I don't care if it's a billion-dollar airport renovation or the most technical product in the world. People are much more aware that oh, buying a home can be an emotional decision unless you're strictly buying it for investment purposes. But um, I mean, yeah, a car, the clothes, all of those things are very emotional buys. And even if you're in a business situation, you tend to say, I want to buy from someone who gets me. And that's where the story comes in. And as you were referencing, when you have your first story of origin, what made you become an architect, a lawyer, a real estate agent, that's much more interesting than just spewing out how long you've been in the business. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to get rapport and ask other people what got you into what you do. And that's much more interesting than sports or the weather or whatever else people try to use to build rapport. Um, then your company, even if it's just a one-person company, has its own story. How'd you come up with a name? What are your values? Um, and telling that story is equally important. And then finally, I have this promise where I turn a boring case study testimonials into a case story that takes people on a journey versus a dry case study that's just usually a bunch of facts and figures and people don't seem to relate to it very well. Now, uh, I was intrigued by that that phrase. I actually was doing some some research, and I like that case study versus case story, and I, I mm-hmm. intriguing. So, is there um, just in your work and as you've 
you know, understand people and doing this a while is, is, is there a value in, you know, there are people that generally are kind of, you know, if you want to call it right brain, left brain analytical, mm -hmm. like they do want the data, they do want yeah. the facts They you know, tell me how this is going to be, you know, help me or yeah. save, save me money or whatever. Um, so, you know, a case study, you know, that's like, Hey, look at the success and look how much weight they lost right. and you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> um, how do you live in that kind of world? Like if you, if you, you know, people right. that's just different, right? They they take stories differently. They take data differently. Like, how do you kind of walk that that line? Is that even a, a factor, or does it story just yes. win, win no matter? Well, for what? example, um, when I was working with Olympus Medical, they make um, equipment of uh, scopes and monitors and all kinds of stuff. And um, they said we always get this one objection about this monitor that we sell that it's expensive and especially if we don't need it for every surgery. So you can weave data or objections into your story versus just presenting a lot of rationale why you should still have this monitor. So let me give you an example of what that case story is for this resolution monitor in a surgery. And um, there's four parts to a good case story. There's the exposition, the who, what, where, when. You got to paint the picture to pull people in. Then you need to describe the problem. And if the problem doesn't have stakes that are somewhat high, nobody cares about the story. And then your solution, obviously. And then the secret is the resolution. What is life like after that person has bought your product or hired you or whatever the issue is? So they tell this um, story now that um, two years ago in a rural hospital in Minnesota, Dr. Peterson decided to test out this monitor. And, you know, that hospital in the rural areas are not known for cutting edge technology, but he thought, I'll test it and see what it's like. And the rep from Olympus, Brandon, was in the room with him. And during the surgery, uh, the patient happened to have a very high BMI, which means they're very overweight, which is puts everything at risk. Um, the surgery is going along. And then suddenly, Dr. Peterson hits a bleeder. The room gasped. Because to your naked eye, it's a sea of red. And everyone is saying, oh my God, how is he going to save this patient's life in time? The doctor, Peterson, calmly looks up at the monitor and he could see the subtle color between oxygenated blood and non-oxygenated blood and knew from that that he couldn't see with his naked eye where the bleeder was coming from, found it, saved the patient's life. After the surgery, Dr. Peterson said to Blake, you know, we don't always need a monitor like this, but boy, when we need it, we need it. So there's the four parts of the story. The exposition, you know, the name, how long ago, where, which hospital. The problem is that doctors hit a bleeder. Hmm. And normally without that monitor, he wouldn't know where to go and time would be ticking. So the solution is the monitor, right? Uh, giving that subtle colors in red that your naked eye can't see. Um, and saving the patient's life. But the resolution to this story, Ryan, is what he says to the rep. Boy, we don't always need this, but when we need it, we need it. Answering that objection. And then all the other doctors see themselves in that story and say to themselves, Oof, I don't care if I need it one out of 100 or one out of 1,000. I don't want to lose a patient because I don't have this monitor. My reputation's on the line. And I became a doctor to save lives, not go, well, you know, hopefully we won't need it. It's like, you know, we don't need our airbags every day in our car either, do we? But we pay to have them, whether we like it or not. So that's an example of there's some data in there. There's some facts in there about oxygenated blood, non-oxygenated blood, and how that's a different color red. 
But if you didn't say it through the story, it wouldn't be nearly as compelling. No, I love I love this example because you're you're describing kind of that it's humanizing the story. It's it is kind of taking that orbit of data, but also like here's a real life pr- patient, you know, mm-hmm. that's suffering and a doctor that's involved. And now it's the, the money doesn't matter, right? It's and I think that's you know even when we buy things or we. we yeah, someone will say, well, you go on this great vacation with your family and you make these great memories and yeah, it costs a lot of money and dad's stressed out the whole time and you know, mm-hmm. how are you going to pay for this and the kids are cranky and all that. But it, it is one of those moments where you go, you can't put a price tag on that. You know, you're, you're MasterCard's thinking- MasterCard's done a whole campaign around that. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Your whole thinking isn't just how much is it going to cost, but can I put a price tag on memories, which I don't think I can. You know, the stories that my kids will tell for the rest of their lives about, hey, remember when dad got a flat tire and he's losing his mind and you know, all that stuff. Uh, no, I love that. It's like, yeah, how do we kind of weave in the, the data and the um, mm-hmm. the story and the humanity? Uh, I interviewed a guy a couple of years ago, or actually last year, and he was he wrote a book about um, the, the COVID uh, virus. And But what he did was instead of just saying, you know, what's not compelling is how do I convince people that COVID's a real thing or here's mm. the ramifications. But he told stories about people in the ER and doctors and mm. nurses and what they experienced yes. to, to kind of use it as a way to get people interested in what he was saying rather than just here's the facts, you know, believe the facts right. and, you know, go on your way. Uh, and I, I find that interesting. Uh, so, uh, no, I really like this. Um, so when you, um, you know, come back to, um, the idea of storytelling, obviously you're working with different people, you're doing presentations, um, you're working mm-hmm. with businesses and, and coaching people and all kinds of things. Uh, how do you collect stories? Like, how do you, you know, not only your own story, but I mean, stories are compelling in general. I'm always, mm-hmm. I feel like I do a terrible job at collecting just good ah. stories. It could be other people's stories, things you right. see, experience. Do you have a, a, a way of collecting stories or keeping those things kind of in your uh, orbit? Well, it doesn't have to be complicated. I personally put it in a Google Doc and put it by categories. Um, but one of the clients I worked with, they decided to recreate a repository map of all of their salespeople's case stories, as well as the rep's story of origin. Like, I, my mom was a nurse. That's what got me into healthcare or whatever the story is. And then now are not only using it saying, you know, you need to think of your brain like a jukebox or a playlist. Instead of songs coming up, you need a multiple stories ready to go so that you're telling the right story to the right person at the right time. The story you tell a CEO is not the same story you tell a project manager or a purchasing person. You need a story that's their job for them to be able to see it themselves in it. So having a repository map um, with all the stories of everyone you work with allows you to say, you know, I haven't had this situation before where this client or potential buyer is like this, but my friend in another state has, and I can use that story. That's much more relevant to them. And so if the stories all live in one place that people have access to, um, it's the um, impact of the stories are much more powerful. So they don't always have to be your participant. You can say my colleague had this experience. Um, And then having all the story of origins in one place has now become an HR onboarding tool. When somebody joins the company, they said, oh, get to know your colleagues by reading their story of origins and we'll be putting yours up as well. Well, this is really, really good. I, I think the, you know, giving people kind of the, the, I don't know if it's permission or helping them see like, yeah, you do have stories to draw on. They are there, you know, yes. um, is I think where the, the fear comes in too, of like, what am I going to say? I don't really understand. And this isn't right. my world or I don't, my, or I was here a lot. My story's not that interesting, you know? Well, you know, it's funny. I was working with an architecture firm 
And one of them, you know, was just going to get up there and say, you know, I've worked here 10 years. I do this, this, and this. And I said, <laughs> oh, let's go into what made you become an architect. And he goes, oh, well, I was 11 years old. I'm playing with Legos. Now I have a son that's 11. I still play with Legos with him. I'm just passionate about that whole process. That's much more interesting than just his resume. So I said, where did you work before to a, one of the women? She goes, oh, I was in the Israeli army. I said, ho, ho. Uh, I bet you know about focus and discipline. And since this project, if you are part of the team, you need somebody like you to make sure this thing comes on time and under budget. You got the perfect background. So I pull out different kinds of stories from people. It's not always childhood stories. I remember working with one of their other colleagues who had heard those two examples. And he said, I don't have one. Can I just use Bob's Lego story? And I said, no, Benji, <laughs> that's not your story. I'm sure I can help you find it. And I worked with him for a little bit. And um, finally, he just said... Well, you know, my dad is an engineer, but he dreamed of being an architect. And now that I am an architect, I guess in a way I'm living his dream for him and keeping that legacy alive. I said, bingo. Hmm. That's the story. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. They're all there. I mean, I think we all like, I think even, un you know, subconsciously, we, our own story is like, we're doing the things that we're doing because of some little yeah. thing that happened or some yeah. pain, pain point or experience yeah. or another architect beth said you know most little girls you know beg their parents to take them to you know disneyland or something i begged my parents to drive me downtown and look at skyscrapers at 10 mm -hmm. you know so that was her passion even at a right. young age so that is that's interesting you can visualize that mm -hmm. little girl and being in awe of the skyscrapers and wanting to figure out how to be part of that world mm -hmm. so those are, you know, four examples right there. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. So what is your, uh, let's, let's go way back though. Like what, what's <laughs> your story? I mean, you, you know, obviously you're trying to help people in their stories and tell their stories, but sure. I mean, you're obviously this line of working before the work. I mean, what was kind of, as you've mm. uncovered that yourself, what, what kind of drew you to this kind of work? Well, my first attraction to advertising was, oh, this is a really fun world to live in. Um, whether, and, you know, I'm sort of obsessed with the TV show Mad Men when it was on. Sure. Uh, that whole concept of entertainment and business combining, what motivates people to change their behavior, break through the clutter. Um, so that's what made me major in advertising, actually. I thought it was this great combination of entertainment and business. And I knew all the jingles to every commercial on TV. And um, I just thought that stuff was fascinating. And that led me to... Advertising is really, in fact, sales. They're trying to sell you something. And so instead of just creating, being part of the commercials, as I mentioned, for the movies coming out on home video, I got into, and I, my job at that agency was to sell that agency as the one that uh, the studios would hire to use. So I was, and then I sold, as I mentioned, Condé Nast advertising space to advertisers. So I was in the world of advertising, but through the lens of selling the ads and convincing people to run their ads in my particular publication or let my agency create them for you. So it's always been through that lens of, I love the stories, I love the ads, and telling a story of why this agency or this particular platform is the best place to put your ad has always been my passion. And then that led to um, me saying, to some of my advertisers, like I, when I was calling on these car companies, I wrote my first book about 15 years ago and the magazine that I was working for said, you know, 
run the ad in our magazine. We have affluent people who could afford this expensive car, put it on the test drive shortlist. And then John's going to come speak to your team on how to use storytelling uh, to sell to the luxury market and not take rejection personally. And that's what launched my speaking career was I was actually speaking to my clients' sales teams. Of, yeah, the ad's going to help you get more traffic in the dealership, but I'm going to help you once those people walk in, know what to say to increase your odds of selling them a car or a house or whatever it was. Hmm. No, I, you know, as you share your story, it's interesting, like those that are listening as far as kind of connecting the dots, like you have these different mm-hmm. worlds and passions and things. And you, and you kind of go, I think some people always think like too much on the nose. It's like, well, I like, you know, the entertainment thing. So I should probably be an actor right. or I should be, you uh-huh. know, but you never think like there's a, there's a job or a vocation that could kind of combine some of those things or this creative part of me or, you know, whatever, but it's all just kind of un- unearthing, you know, who am I and what kind of draws and what am I drawn to? And, and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. No, I, I, I like that. And I find that interesting. And, and again, that's a lot about paying attention, paying attention to ourselves, paying attention to experiences yes. and, you know, what, what things we like, things we don't like, things we're good at, things we're not good at. Uh, uh, Nora Ephron, who's a famous screenwriter, um, always said everything is copy for her as a screenwriter. She's always paying attention to what's going on in her life and going, hmm, maybe that's going to be a scene in a movie someday. Mm-hmm. And I encourage people to think of just turn that switch on in your brain going, I'm going through this really tough time now, but maybe there'll be a great story at, at the end of it. So one thing we haven't, maybe we haven't really discussed it head on um, is we, you know, we have a lot of writers and creative people and entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and nonprofit people starting things, you know, all kinds of interesting people. Uh, and one of the things we talk about a lot is, you know, how do you market yourself? How do you yes. get your sell your books? How do you, you know, and, and it's, it's the, you know, the black sheep, it's the thing you don't want to talk about. It's the, mm-hmm. but what I've loved just through our conversation is, is trying to take some of that sting away from it or yes. how, how do you think of, about it? I mean, obviously advertising is selling and things, but you know, obviously storytelling is supposed to kind of help some of that. But I mean, wh- wh- where would you kind of encourage someone, you know, when they're thinking about, you know, I got this book and I want to get it out there, but I'm just like, right. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to, yeah. Where would you kind of help people? Well, start? I would, I would, I, for people who have a book to sell and having done that myself, um, look for a soundbite that grabs people's attention. So for me, um, I got interviewed on Fortune and Inc. Magazine and got on television with this one soundbite. Are you stuck at the friend zone at work? I know everybody knows what being the friend zone at dating is. Maybe not you, but I do. Um, but maybe not have, that probably didn't happen to you, Ryan, but it happened to me. Most of <laughs> mortals got stuck at the friend zone at work at one point of our life. Um, and But the friend zone at work is when people say, I'm interested, and then you don't hear anything, you get ghosted. And so I say, you know, there's three ways to tell you're stuck at the friend zone at work and three ways to get out if you're in a corporate career. But in terms of selling yourself, when you come up with that soundbite, editors, producers of TV segments are looking for some hook. And if you have a three-minute segment or enough things that could become an article that would make people want to click and read that article. Cause at the end of the day, the media is selling their ability to get eyeballs to advertisers. So it's full circle again, right? Everyone's <laughs> always selling everything. Um, but it's like, I am not selling from a pushy standpoint. Instead, I'm coming up with something. I'm putting my empathy hat on of what do you need? How can I make you, your job easier? If you're a producer of a TV segment and or a a writer at a magazine that would make what I've written about compelling to your readers or your viewers. 
No, that's good. And I, I think the, the, you know, even when I think of like a fiction writer, uh, you know, if you can't tell us what the hook is or what the reason right. you wrote the book or what the, you know, why it, it is what it is, you're not, you're not ready yet. You know, you're not ready to present it to the world. You know, it's kind of that, yeah, if you're in an elevator stuck in an elevator, can you explain to me in a few sentences what this yeah. is or why you wrote it or, you know, those kinds of things. And yeah, that's, that's hard to do. It, compare, you know, comparing it to other genres, right? Like if the Twilight Zone had a baby with, um, I don't know, um, the vampire movies, right? Mm -hmm. That's what this book is, right? You're like, oh, I kind of get what it is a little mm -hmm. bit, right? And so if you give people something, they, two things they know and you express that yours is this sort of hybrid of the two, it's an interesting enough twist that no one else has put those two things together before. I remember saying with one of my earlier books, it's a cross between the one minute manager and the four agreements, so it's a little bit of metaphysical self-help and it's a little bit of catch somebody doing something right in business. Those are both short books. And um, that's what my first book was about. That's good. Yeah. That was like the, you know, back in the, you know, diehard movies, you know, everyone would, would pitch their books yeah. or their movies as diehard on a bus as speed and diehard exactly. on, you know, with dinosaurs, yeah. you know, or whatever. And, and a lot of entrepreneurs pitching for funding go, it's Uber with food. Right. right. Uber eats, right. It's Uber right. with this. And then so many other people are like, uh, let me compare what I do to Apple. Right. And then right. finally people went, okay, we can't take one more Apple. <laughs> right. You're not thinking more deeply enough about it. No, that's good. Uh, so, uh, so John, I, let's talk, uh, just your book. I'm trying to remember when it actually came live. I think yep. depending on when people listen to this, but, um, yep. talk, talk a little bit about the, the genesis of this book. Uh, yeah. obviously I have well, another book, it's but, a yeah. business fable, which I've never written before. I've written other books, but they were pretty much straightforward books on storytelling and selling. Um, this one, I decided to make it a story about storytelling. So it's, you know, and it's set here in Austin where I live. So it's a little bit of a love letter to Austin. People will recognize some of the places in it. Um, and it's um, about this person who's a rep and struggling and the old way of selling isn't working. And then somebody introduces him to the concept of storytelling and she is able to get him to open his mind to try something new. And as you're going through the journey of him not getting a promotion or losing a big sale and just on and on and on and learning about improving his storytelling skills as he goes, um, by the end of it, you're like, oh, and then there's a at the end are the actual templates to create your own story. Um, so you're learning about storytelling without it being so pedantic or uh, instructional. Uh, and you were like, I was learning about it without realizing I was learning. And here's the template that they were, they, the character was using. And what's fun for me is some people go, oh, I thought these two characters were going to get together at the end. You know, not to get spoiler alert. I go, it's not that kind of book. <laughs> but the fact that you cared enough about them is great. <laughs> Well, I think it, you know, and I think you're you're onto something because I think there has been a lot of nonfiction, you know, business even business type books that have been kind of parables or mm -hmm. you know fables oh, yeah. or stories that were some of the most popular, and it's probably I think they stick around because of their story driven, you know, exactly because you know you give a bunch of data and facts and do this and that and you know this and that. A lot of times we don't remember those things, but we remember a good story. We remember the 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 principle, yes. the heart behind it, the. You know, and I think when we, when we encounter stories, we find ourselves in the story. You said that earlier, yeah. Um, which is fascinating because a lot of, uh, if you read like Donald Miller's work and some of his stuff, mm -hmm. you know, even when you design your website, you should make the story about the person that's on your website, not you. Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, that's yeah. kind of the, they have to I, see themselves in the, in right. so eating this I, thing, whatever you're offering. You know, I talk about, are you tired of coming in second place when you pitch against competitors? And I took that literally from the words of somebody that I was working with. 
And I'm, and now I'm like, gosh, if there's one of you, there's probably a hundred or a thousand of you. And so people go, are you in my head? How did you know I'm tired of coming in second place or frustrated by it? So that intrigues them to go, this is for me. Mm-hmm. Or I'm so sick of feeling pushy. There's a new other way to do it. Yeah. All those little moments that grab people. Hmm. So what, what's been the, uh, what's been your, I don't know, biggest surprise or, or best feedback from the book so far? Like just have, people have encountered it. Editors have looked at it, whatever. I mean, <laughs> talk, talk, talk to us about that. I think the biggest surprise is that it's encouraged a lot of people who wanted to figure out how to tell their story and didn't know how to start. And now they go, oh, following this structure makes me confident enough to put my own story together and start putting it out there. And that's really changed my life. Uh, You know, like she said earlier in the show, it can also impact your personal life. Um, I had an orthopedic surgeon tell me, you know, I, I bought this book because I have a product I want to learn how to sell through storytelling and because I don't want to, I'm a doctor, I don't want to be this pushy salesperson. So I figured maybe this would help me. And then I was putting my nine-year-old girl to bed and she's like, uh, daddy, tell me a story. And she, he's like, okay, um, let's get good night moon out. And she's like, no, don't read me a story. Tell me a story. And he said, I panicked for a minute. And then I remembered the structure from your book. And I thought, okay. And he made up a story on the fly about another little girl that was just like his daughter with a little different name and different twists. So she was completely engaged and that made him a hero to his little girl. So that made me feel great. That's great. No, I, you know, and it is, I mean, you're talking about the personal side of storytelling. I mean, it's not just Mm -hmm. this kind of, you know, unique thing that only certain people can do, but you think back, you know, your grandparents and the stories that were handed down. I mean, those are the things I remember. I mean, grandparents are long gone, but you know, the, the stories of world war two and the stories Mm. of them getting married and, you know, their friends and, you know, I don't remember data, you know, what date was, you know, (laughs) were you married or, you know, how tall were you? It's, it's more than those stories. Right. Um, and those, those carry weight, I think. And I think our kids, that's, that's what they're going to remember most. Oh, every kid I know, myself included, when I was a kid, it was like, tell me the story of what happened. You know, where were you when I was born? Was dad, were you in the hospital with mom or you're getting your teeth cleaned or what was going on? And, uh, you know, and uh, tell us the story of what your wedding day was like. I mean, it's just all everybody's interested in their own story of origins. Well, John, this has been great. And, um, and I, I sounds like the book is is doing great and uh, impacting a lot of people already. So uh, there's that question, you know, every time you write something or make something or create something, you probably have something in the back of your mind or hopes or dreams, you know, what would be the, you know, what, this is the gift I want to give to the world. And, and what do I hope, you know, comes back to me, you know, and well, in I do have a gift for your listeners, which is if you take out your phone and text the word pitch with a P P I T C H to six, six, eight, six, six, you get the first chapter for free. And nice. that might intrigue you enough to want to buy or listen to the whole book on audible. I think the biggest gift is that people read the book and say, oh, this is exactly the kind of person we want to have come speak at our sales kickoff meeting. We need some new motivation. We need a new way of selling. And this is exactly the template we want to have. And so that's been a really great calling card. Um, And we want to buy copies for all the salespeople, have you sign them after the talk. So that's happened several times and it's just been wonderful. I love that. Well, John Livesey, you are a great storyteller. I know I've <laughs> seen you a couple of your TED Talks and some other things, Thanks. and uh, you practice what you preach. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you wrote this book, and Thank it'll be a great you. offering to the world. And uh, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and advice. You're going to help a lot of people. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. All the best. 
Well, there you have it, my friends. John Livesey, The Power of Storytelling. Go check out his work. Go check out his books. Really enjoyed our time. What a helpful, wise guy. Uh, Not a wise guy. Uh, A man full of wisdom, let's say it that way. Storytelling is so important. Um, We're all storytellers. You may not think you are. You may not think you have a story to tell. uh, But our, our stories are powerful. I think our stories are the most important things in the world and learning how to tell good stories and how that can help you in so many different ways in life and business and art. So thank you, John Livesey, for stopping by The Art of Paying Attention. And speaking of The Art of Paying Attention, if you haven't stopped by our website, uh, we're hosted there on Substack. It's a beautiful, wonderful platform that we've switched everything over to. So you can check out our newsletter. Uh, I send out a weekly newsletter, seven things I'm paying attention to, uh, just in art and culture and quotes and books and all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, if you're interested in that, check that out. I send it out every Friday. Hopefully that will encourage you, help you wherever you are in life and art and work. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, RyanJPelton.substack.com. I'll put that all in the show notes. You can join the newsletter, stay updated on all that's going on. That's where the podcast is hosted. It's where I write articles and share other things. And, And I've also mentioned this before, but there's a chat feature. If you get the app, the Substack app is that we can chat. Uh, and I know you're excited to do that. We can we can chat it up and have more conversations and ask questions and, and help each other. And so I, I put questions in there once in a while where we can interact. I really enjoy that part of the community. And uh, yeah, so thanks everybody for listening to the show. It's been great moving things over, getting things kind of relaunched here and a lot of good feedback, uh, a lot of uh, good conversations happening. Um, and so thank you for that. And also if you find this show helpful, you enjoyed it, please leave an honest rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I know a lot of you listen on iTunes, really easy to leave a review A rating helps us get the, the word out, helps us get this thing out in the orbit. I don't know how, how the podcast gods work, but somehow that helps. So if you do enjoy this, uh, please shoot it out into the world, leave a rating, a review that'll help us. And also if you have anyone you'd like me to talk to or interview or, or maybe yourself, uh, hit me up on email or hit me up through the Substack. I'm really easy to find. You can find me at hello at ryanjpelton.com. That's my email. And I actually answer my email. I'm a real human behind the microphone. I am not AI. I'm not a robot. Um, I am not simulated. I'm not virtual reality. I am real reality. I am flesh and blood. And I, I cry and I laugh. And okay, that's enough. Uh, but you can reach out. I love to hear, uh, yeah, get emails. I love to respond to emails. Any questions you have, anything you're working on, whatever's going on in your life, love to encourage you any way I can. So hope you're all well. Hope you're paying attention to good things and beautiful things and important things. And before we go, I do have one important thing to say is go make some great art with your life. And I'll talk to you real, real soon.